0: studying over these summer weeks the wisdom literature of the old testament there are five books in the bible that we call wisdom literature the books of job psalms proverbs ecclesiastes and the song of solomon and today it's kind of fitting actually for the bishops in light of where they're going in their life it's kind of fitting that today we're going to look at, at one of the major questions that the book of ecclesiastes asks and that question is what makes a great life. And I want to begin by posing a question to you. So open up your Bibles, if you would, to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. But I want to pose a quick question. Um, if you suddenly came into a gigantic amount of money, if all of a sudden something happened to where money was not an issue for you at all, what would you do? <laughs> LeBron James just signed a $154 million contract to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm so lost right now. I don't know what to do. I've been a LeBron hater for so many years because you can't love LeBron and the Lakers at the same time, but now he's us. And so I I don't know what to do. but, But if you had signed a $154 million contract, what would you do with all that money? I mean, after you paid off your debts... And helped your family because we would probably all start there. But that's not going to take 154 million dollars. So what would you do? Would you travel? Maybe go see those exotic places that you've always wanted to see and haven't seen, or or would you try and do something substantive? If money was not an option, would you fund research for the curing of diseases, or would you become an explorer? And would you maybe uh, resource expeditions to look for Noah's Ark or artifacts like that? Or or would you become a humanitarian? Some people would say, if I suddenly came into a massive fortune, I would give huge amounts of money to World Vision or Smile Train or uh, programs who dig wells, or I would fight human trafficking. So would you use your money to fight the injustice in our world? Or would you just spend it on yourself? Would you just have fun? After upgrading the wardrobe and buying your fleet of Lamborghinis and doing a little nip-tuck action, would you just start throwing extravagant parties? Do you know when Mike Tyson turned 30, he threw a one-night birthday party for all of his friends, and he spent a million dollars on one party? What would you do if that occurred? Well, in the wisdom literature of our Bibles, we have that exact case study. We have a scenario where where that occurred it's commonly believed that solomon was the author of the book of ecclesiastes and we know that solomon was both the wisest and one of the richest people to ever live in fact msn money compiled a list of the top 20 richest people in human history and king solomon made the top five in fact in today's dollars the wealth of Solomon that we read about in Scripture would equal more than $2.2 trillion. I mean, that's 12 zeros, I think. I can't even count that high. What, 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 um, what would you do with that kind of money? <laughs> do you know what you could do? You could buy all of the major sports divisions. You could buy every team in the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball, and NASCAR... And you would still have $1.75 trillion left to spend. If you wanted to throw Apple into the mix and you wanted to buy the entire global company of Apple, you'd still have close to a trillion dollars to spend. It's crazy money. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it tells us a little bit about what Solomon did with all of his wealth. So let's look at this chapter and let's see if unlimited resources helped Solomon buy a great life or if there was something else that was needed to live a truly great life. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1 says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? So even though it's good to have fun and we should be having fun, the pursuit of fun as an end result is not what makes a great life. It it enhances life along the way. But Solomon said that wasn't what life was about. So in verse 3, he said, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So in addition to pursuing fun, he tried mind-altering and mood-altering experiences to see if somehow in that aspect he would find um, a great life. Verse 4, I also undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, and I planted all kinds of water groves with flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings as well. I acquired male and female singers and a harem, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and in all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. In verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Absorb that for just a second. I have the ability to do whatever I want, and I did whatever I wanted. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The book of Ecclesiastes is so fascinating. For me, it's one of the most fascinating books in the Bible because it's like this giant human social science experiment Conducted by a guy who had the resources to pursue everything he wanted. Nobody had as much PMS as King Solomon. He had all of the power, money, and sex that you could ever imagine. And he had a supernatural amount of wisdom and he leveraged all of it to ask the question what makes a great life? You and I will never have the resources to pursue this question at the same lengths that he did. And so it would make sense it would be wise for us to consider what he found. So why don't you scoot to the end of your Bibles and let's look at his conclusion. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, when the human experiment is done, everything has been pursued, he gives us his bottom line. And he says this, now all has been heard. So he says, okay, everyone, here it is. I have spent my entire life and my fortune, and my wisdom, trying to figure out what makes a great life. I've leveraged my power, I've leveraged my money, I've pursued pleasure, so so, so here it is. Uh, move that bus, uh, I'm gonna reveal what it is that I found, and he says this, he says, fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of all man." Kind, this is the big idea of the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, After I've explored everything that's out there, here's the answer walk humbly and gently before God, return to the relationship that you were created for. He says, Listen, every other path, and this isn't head knowledge for Solomon, every other path will lead eventually to some level of remorse or regret. Or decay. So if you want a truly great life, the starting point is not the stuff that makes up your life. It's not even the relationships that make up your life. If you want a truly great life, the starting point is to live this life in sync with the purposes of God for your life. So, number one, there's a couple other big ideas, so I'll give you three of them this morning. But number one, fear God and keep his commands. And I like how he says, it's your duty to do that. And this just tells us something about the heart of God. He makes our duty, our obligation, the very thing that brings life to us. I am ordering you to do the thing that will bring you the most life. It's beautiful. Number two ties in very closely to number one. Number two is this. Remember, so if you're like me and you're wanting to make a great life, remember that you are living in between two worlds. This is huge, and here's what I mean by this. Over in chapter one, verse 12, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. 30 times in the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, I looked under the sun. He says it over and over. I beheld under the sun. I saw under the sun. Under the sun, I saw this or I saw that. 35 times he concludes that life Is meaningless. In fact, listen to the very opening words of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 1 says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And that old King James version of our Bibles uses the word vanity vanity of vanities all is vanity when our perspective is limited to what we can see under the sun our only ultimate conclusion is that life is vain it's meaningless i mean when all we're limited to is what we can see around us then you just have to eventually say you know what what's the point And you know what is so tragic is that that's where most people live. Most people, and I don't just mean most people out there, most people, including people in here, we try to attach eternal and ultimate value to a temporal, fleeting reality. And Solomon would say, listen, if you're only trying to find a great life in the things that you can see under the sun, it will drive you mad, Madness is actually a theme in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it will disappoint you. So Solomon would say, hey, listen, gang, here's the bottom line. A great life is found when we begin to touch what's above the sun, God, And the purposes of God. And when we begin to bring the reality of life above the sun into our existence here below the sun, and we bridge those two, because it's not exclusively spiritual, just as it's not exclusively natural. When we bridge the two, when we realize that we are living in between two worlds, that's when life begins to converge. And that's when life begins to get sweet. And listen, that's the Christian message. We love this life. Do you know that as a Christian, you should love this life more than most people do? Because in theory, we're more grateful and we're more humble and we're more appreciative of of the blessings of, of God and we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. But even though we love this life, we are not limited to this life. And so when a storm kicks up and slams against your life and threatens to sink you, you realize, wait a minute, a storm is raging under the sun, but I am tethered to something above the sun. When loss or bereavement or tragedy tries to steamroll you, we realize, wait a minute, this life is the prelude to eternal life, and we find the strength to carry on. And we find something of miraculous power that makes its way into this life here. So fear God and keep his commands. It's kind of fun when you only have a TED talk. You can be a little more preachy than usual because you got to get it all in in just 15, 18 minutes. Number two, remember that you are living in between two worlds. And then number three, I love this one. The book of Ecclesiastes would tell us to love and prioritize the simple things in life. Uh, Busyness, activity, complexity acquiring more and more and more stuff does not lead to a better life and there's a lot of things that that we could um pull out of the book of ecclesiastes let me just shotgun several things that i saw in reading through this that are some of the simple things that we should enjoy number one enjoy your work when solomon surveyed life under the sun he said listen enjoy your job if you don't enjoy your job find a new job And if it's not realistic to find a new job, figure out how to find a new you in your job. Because you and I are going to spend a lot of time in our job. And appreciating a job well done is part of a great life. That's number one. Enjoy your work. Number two, enjoy your friends. Number three, guard your words. You'll have to look up references later on just for time's sake. But um, guard your words. Ecclesiastes constantly admonishes us, don't talk too much. You know what? Sometimes I feel so sorry for myself. I'm a professional talker. I have so many opportunities to say things that I regret. I cannot tell you how many times I've been like, "Oh, babe, why did I say that?" I'm not calling God babe, but saying to Jessica, "Why I I did it again." You know what? I have not repented for very much. The things I didn't say. I don't usually have to repent and be in agony when I wait a little while before speaking. Guard your words. That's really important. Number four, guard your name. Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, a good name is better than fine perfume. Um, I was in a gathering recently where one of my friends and mentors was talking to Jessica in front of a group of people. And he said this. He said, nobody knows what it's like when they leave the room. He said, nobody knows... When you leave the room, nobody knows whether or not people are like, oh, thank God they're finally gone. And then he said to Jessica, though, he said, he said, I think when you leave the room, everyone thinks, oh, does she have to leave so soon? We should guard our name, our character, our integrity so much that when we leave the room, we leave a perfume that lingers and not dissonance, or anxiety, or a stench. Guard your name, number five, keep perspective. Number six, stay balanced. Number seven, hold on to hope. I love this one. Chapter nine, verse four says, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. Recently here at Grace, we've embraced a new identity statement as a church. Here at Grace, we are a community of faith, love, and hope. And what that means is that our mission is to follow Jesus, that's faith, and to model and radiate love and to speak God's hope to the world. There is always hope. So hold on to hope, number seven. Number eight, love your sweetheart. And I'll just give you one more. I could probably pull another dozen out of here, but just one more. I love this one too. Number nine, be ready when your moment comes. If you want to have a great life, be ready when your moment comes. Look at one more verse with me. Chapter nine, verse 11 says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. Now, Just pause here for one second, okay? And just think about what he's saying here. There's some sage perspective in this. Not everyone who is talented becomes famous. Not everyone who's strong and fast wins the race. Not every great writer ends up having a bestseller. In fact, um, you know J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter? First author billionaire. Billionaire. Well, after Harry Potter, she wrote another novel, but she decided to write it under a pseudonym. So nobody knew who was writing this other, uh, this other book. She just thought it'd be fun to write under a pen name. This new book by J.K. Rowling sold about 1,500 copies. And in the publishing world, that's nothing. And she kind of panicked and she's like, oh my gosh, we need to leak the fact that this is me. And so they leaked the fact that this pseudonym was actually for J.K. Rowling. And then the book blew up. It wasn't any better when it blew up. It was the same book. But once we knew it was hers, we all had to go out and buy it. Um, Solomon's telling us here that, um, that we're not all necessarily going to become rich and famous and ultra successful. However... The end of this verse says that time and chance happen to them all. So you might not become rich and famous and ultra successful, but you will have moments in your life. There will be moments of opportunity. Time and chance is going to come together for you in your life. And when your moment comes, that's the moment to move. That's the moment to act. That's the moment to respond. It's a time to step up. It's a time to be great. Now, some of your moments will be big and public, and everyone will know about it. Some of them will be small and private, and no one will know about it except for you and God. In fact, um, I had one of those small moments when we were in Mexico on our mission trip a couple of weeks ago. We were working during the day, and um, Amber texted me and said that she wanted to talk. And I said, that's great. I'll I'll call you tonight. I think I'll be done around 1030. So we worked hard during the day. At the end of the day, we had a bonfire and our team was sitting around the fire. And I finally crawled into my sleeping bag at around 1030. I looked over and Jeff Letherer is in his sleeping bag with his little reading light stuck to his forehead reading his novel and the guys were already snoring and, and, and I was so tired so I texted Amber and I said, hey babe, I'm pretty wiped out, can, can we just text for a minute and then I'll call you tomorrow and she writes back, sure, no problem but you know how it is sometimes with texting I, I could feel in the text a little bit of disappointment and so we texted for a minute and, and, and then I just thought to myself, hold on a minute I have a moment right here I can't be kind and loving to my team members all day and then be kind to all of these strangers that I'm meeting in Mexico and then not have time to talk to my own daughter. And so I got up and got dressed and I went and sat by the fire by myself and I called her and we had a fantastic conversation. It, it was a moment, not a big gigantic moment, but it was a moment to capitalize on time and chance coming together in my life and i'm so thankful that i took it and whenever time and chance comes together i want to be ready to take it and i want us to be ready individually and collectively to take it so all through ecclesiastes solomon reminds us hey we don't know what the future holds we don't know what tomorrow holds but we will have moments he called them time and chance and when our moments come we need to be ready to move so let me summarize TED talk. I kind of hit the length a little bit. What makes a great life? A great life is touched on when we increasingly fear God and keep his commands. And then it grows when we realize, hold on a second, I am living in between two worlds. There's more going on than what meets the eye. There's more at work. There's a greater power than what I can see under the sun. I'm standing in between two worlds. And when I bridge those two worlds, life takes on a whole different level of significance. And then, number three, life is just sweeter. And it's just a little bit greater when I'm gratefully loving and prioritizing the simple things. When we enjoy our work, when we enjoy our friends, when we guard our words and we guard our name and we keep perspective and we stay balanced and we hold on to hope and we love our sweetheart and we're ready when our moment comes. Now, that's a lot of points and you're not supposed to do that in preaching. In preaching classes, they tell you, you should only have one point and then you hammer away at it in 20 different directions. But, but this is kind of exactly what the wisdom literature is like. When we read the wisdom literature, it gives us a ton of counsel on all kinds of subjects. And as we read it, the Holy Spirit illuminates which part of it applies to my life today. So we'll be finished here in a few minutes, but I want us to do a final song. And I want us to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you prioritizing for me? You probably already know. Because out of these 11 different thoughts today, something probably lodged in your soul. That's for me. But let's just take a minute and ask the Lord, what what, what are you saying? Where have I settled for a life that's less than what it was meant to be? Where do you want to make my life greater? Why don't you stand with us? I've loved the emphasis this morning in worship. There was such a strong emphasis on the reality that's above the sun that makes its way into life under the sun. So let's just end in that same tone. Let's worship, let's ask the Lord to speak, And then whatever he says, however he pierces our heart, let's own it and let's absorb it.